Is your calendar filling up with weddings and invites? Well, check off your to-do list at Macy's. I mean, I love weddings. Don't you love weddings? I love going to a wedding, but you have to be really careful with how you get dressed for a wedding because, all right, we all know you're not supposed to wear white, right? You can't wear white unless they tell you to wear white. And you really don't want to wear black because if you wear black, unless they tell you to wear black, then it feels like you're going to a funeral maybe, or you're depressed. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. You have to be really careful about what you're going to wear to a wedding. So pulling together the perfect wedding look, not that easy. But when you go to Macy's, they've got the latest spring dresses, shoes, and jewelry by the way, even skincare and makeup. So you can pull together a look for any dress code. I love one-stop shopping and Macy's has it all. They've got your glow up covered. So fabulous. All the things you need all in one spot. Check out Macy's wedding shop to help you get celebration ready at macy's.com slash wedding shop. This is Heather Dubrow's World, and now you can live in it two times a week right here on Podcast One. Welcome back, everyone. I have a fabulous guest on the show today. Uh, Dr. Travis Storick is here. I've known him for many years, and you are having quite a year, my friend. Um, married, baby, sort of career pivot, like lots going on with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's been, a, I think, quite a year for everyone. Oh. And uh, throwing having a baby in the mix was definitely uh, an exciting thing, but also <laughs> with everything going on in the pandemic, it was uh, it was one of those. It's been one of those years where it's been half excitement and half trepidation. Yeah. I could see that. And even for a doctor, because, you know, people always ask me like what it's like being married to a doctor and whatnot, because you do get a sense of calm when, when your husband's or your partner's a doctor, but still in COVID times, having to go in for all your appointments and your checkups and everything, that, that's got to be crazy. And also just the uncertainty, you know, in medicine, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. But when you, you see something new in medicine, you can be the best doctor in the world, but when there is a novel virus. When it first hits, you have no idea. So my wife kept asking me, are we good here? Are we good here? And we were getting really close to delivery date. And a lot of hospitals were still not even allowing spouses to come be by the bedside. So we were in a, you know, one of those difficult situations where when our son was born, things were just literally a few weeks before they started opening up hospitals again for for uh, spouses to be there. But because of the uncertainty, we didn't have any great data on if you get this virus as a pregnant woman, does it affect you? Does it affect the baby? Or if a baby gets this, what happens? So there was so much uncertainty. And as a doctor, it was almost more frustrating. And in some ways still is because so many unknowns. And, and we don't like unknowns in medicine. You know that, Heather. Yeah, no, of course, <laughs> for sure. No, I get that. So did you ever consider, like, I'm assuming in med school, you delivered a number of babies. By the way, just side note, Terry told me when our twins were born, our first kids, who are now almost 17, he told me he didn't ever have to change a diaper again because he did it so much in med school. Bullshit, never changed a diaper once. Did you deliver, a, <laughs> did you deliver any kids? Oh, I delivered a ton. And I, I actually spent... During medical school, I spent six weeks on the OB ward and delivered 
there were so many deliveries and I was blessed to be able to deliver a lot of really healthy babies. And then as an ER doc, when you go through residency, I spent a full month on the OB wards as well, but I've never delivered a baby in the ER. Having said all of that, and I don't want to go into too, too many details because deliveries, as you know, are, are a sacred experience for yeah. the mom and also the dad and baby. But my wife had a really difficult delivery and I don't know if it was secondary to COVID and I do not want to be critical, but it was, um, let me just put it to you this way. I was very involved with the entire process. There was not a lot of help. Yeah. Um, and so, um, let's just say I got a lot more involved than my wife wanted me to, because going into the delivery, she said, waist up. Yeah. Yeah. Stay above the curtain. Yeah. (laughs) Travis, you are a husband and father tonight. You are not a doctor. Well, um, you know, it was one of those things where some things were going wrong and like, I had to make feel good about everything. So, um, yeah, it didn't go exactly as planned. The baby did, you know, he came out after a uh, vacuum delivery and ended up doing, um, okay. After a brief stay in the NICU, but it was so bizarre for me to toggle for the first time in my life between being a doctor and a yeah. daddy and a husband. And it was all, all three happened. All three things were happening at once because she delivered, Baby is immediately taken away by the NICU team and and he is over on this side of the bed or the the room and my wife's over here and she had had some tough time. So I'm I'm going back and forth between the two of them. They're like, we're going to take your baby to the NICU. And I'm like, honey, do I like, what do I do? Do I go with him? Do I go with him? Do I stay with you? Like, it's like Sophie's choice then. It really is. And then there's also, there's COVID. So it's not like you can just roll into the NICU. So there's this big delay where they took him to the NICU and here I am. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor and I, I, I know that I was looking at the saturations, wasn't happy with them. And, and they're like, they're like, you have to wait, you know, you have to wait probably 30 minutes to an hour before we can let you back in. So just a really bizarre night. Anyway, I don't want to perseverate on that, but you know, being a doctor most of the time is a wonderful thing. And I'm so happy I'm a doctor and an ER doctor given what went down. But at the same time, I look back at the whole experience and I did not really, it, I didn't really get to experience that first time right. father. Um, it was more my, I was just way too, um, my brain was working too much on that particular night slash morning. So we're just very blessed. We're very happy. And to this day, you know, I think it's a double-edged sword being an ER doc because my wife has so many questions about the baby. I have to spend so much time telling her, Paris, (laughs) the baby's doing just fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, you need to, you need to have a chat with Terry. He'll tell you how to do it. He gives everything only has three answers. Um, pressure five minutes by the clock. And, um, if it's that bad, call the pediatrician. Those are the two answers. Not terrible advice. Or, and then rice, no, re- the, the, rest, the, ice, compression, elevation. That's all you really need to tell her. Just you learn that she'll be fine. And the, the other thing I told her is that babies are resilient Yeah, and not every day is going to be great. 
you know, they have, they have days where they're happy as can be. They have days where maybe they've got some GI upset. You don't really know, but by and large, a baby will let you know when he or she is not, not doing great. And when you do need to go to the pediatrician (laughs) and when that happens, like Terry said, you don't hesitate. It doesn't matter if you have a doctor in the family, you call the pediatrician. Oh yeah. Different specialty. So I, but I'm, you know what I'm curious about? Did she deliver at a hospital you have privileges at? No, no. She delivered at um, a hospital here in Nashville that is really known for its obstetrics department. And um, so, so it was definitely a separation of my role as a physician. But having said all that, the one thing that I, I have to give a lot of credit to, especially the NICU team there is when I got back in the NICU, obviously they knew I was a doctor and it is sometimes very difficult. And I, I, I know this as a doctor as well. When you're talking to a fellow physician and it involves a family member, in this case, a newborn baby, it can be a really awkward situation, but the NICU team was so great And they allowed me to be a part of what was going on, but at the same time knew that as a new father, uh, they, there was a bit of reassurance there. They were able to pull back at times and say, Hey dad, we're going to do this, this, and this Dr. Travis, are you (laughs) cool if we do this, this, and this? (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. And and it was, that was a great experience. Even though I didn't have privileges there, they, they showed me the privilege of allowing me to be, you know, involved in his care. And I, and I thought, thought that was, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a really cool thing in, in that time of, I'll call it distress. Yeah, that's very respectful. Um, did you ever consider a home birth with, with everything that was going on and, and going to the hospital with COVID? <sighs> consider it is, you know what, we did a lot of the same things that you would do if you were going to have a home birth. But for precisely the reason we ended up needing the hospital, he had meconium and he was not breathing the way you need to breathe. And without oxygen, he, it wouldn't have been good. So we were at the hospital for that reason. Um, I respect the choice of women and, and my wife really wanted to have a very natural birth, but at a place where if something went wrong, um, we would have, have the ability to take care of the problem. But have, having said all that, Heather, you know, my cousin who lives out in LA is a doula and she's had three babies and she had them all at home. And so she was, she was pushing a little bit for a home birth. And I, I will say that I have, I've been in this, I've been in this profession too long to not respect individual choice. And I can, I can understand wanting to have a home birth and even after our last experience where he had to go to our baby had to go to the NICU. It's something that if my wife said, Travis, I really want to have a home birth this second go around, assuming we have another child, I would, <laughs> I would completely support her decision. Yeah. I, you know, I think um, I feel the same way you do. And I, I, it's probably because I'm married to Terry, but you know, I, I, well, I'm not that natural, honestly. Let's be honest. I mean, I'm natural. I haven't had plastic surgery. Let's not get carried away. But what I'm saying is, give me the epidural. I had scheduled, I started with twins. I had scheduled C-sections. Like I was very precise about the whole thing. And and I ended up with complications that would have been very bad. Um, I had placenta creta. I had preeclampsia oh with one of my um, pregnancies. So I had a lot of issues that really needed, you know, to be at a hospital. But having said that, I have 
a ton of friends who have had their babies at home, in a birthing pool, in their bed, in the, like everywhere, and have done completely well. So God bless everyone for having their own choice and doing what feels great for them. I just, you know, I think it's so crazy and you don't have any other experience to compare this to, but I look forward to hearing if you do have another child, what that non-COVID experience is like, because I, I, I just can't imagine how, because it's so scary to be a first time parent anyway, even if you're a doctor and because now your child, it, you know, your life. And then to have all the COVID stuff on top of it, just crazy. I mean, didn't you even do your baby shower virtually? Did you do a Zoom baby shower? Yeah, it was, if you can call it that, it was, it was a baby shower in name only. When the baby shower consists of our dog, my <laughs> wife, and myself, I don't know that that's a baby shower. Oh, oh, she but needs a do-over. Well, you know, it's interesting because we have a friend who is about to have of a baby and they're scheduled to have a baby shower. And I told Paris, you know, we're, we're not really in a great place right now to pretend like baby showers are necessarily ideal scenarios just because of obviously the uptick in COVID and wearing the cold weather season. So um, I think there's a small part of my wife and I'd be lying if I said this, or if I didn't say this, I would be omitting some truth, which is when we decided to have a virtual baby shower, it was during a time where we were trying to figure out what COVID's lethality was. What is COVID? What is the effect of COVID? Now that we know a little more about it, but still so many unknowns, people have let their guard down. And I'm not trying to transition here into my views versus someone else's views on the pandemic. But we have a lot of friends here in Tennessee who have, I'll just say, have really let their guard down. And so, uh, here too. So Paris is like, God, you know, I had a virtual baby shower because it was probably the right thing to do. We may be getting back very closely to that point where that may be the right thing to do. Um, but teach everyone's own choice. But Heather, I do have to tell you a story. Yeah. that you will appreciate because you've had twins you've had i mean you're i don't know how i have one baby now i don't know how you have four i don't i respect <laughs> you i don't know how people have more than one baby but <laughs> i so the first night i get home heather and this is four months ago i'm i'm confident i'm an er doctor i've yeah. seen so many sick babies i've seen uh, i'm good honey you haven't slept in a week. You go to bed. I got, I've got the baby. Yeah. <laughs> the baby is, of course, had been in the NICU. The baby is really frail. Grayson, the first night at home, the whole night was crying, would not eat. And I, for about six hours, was terrified out of my mind <laughs> because it's the middle of the night. And I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, I... I am, I'm going through the fire right now because it's not like I can phone a, phone a friend. I know what you are the friend. Here. He's not eating. I am the friend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what I found out, Heather, and this is for anyone listening who is taking care of a newborn, the doggone nipple. Cause, cause we were using the, we were using the nipple that the hospital gave us that was supposed to encourage breastfeeding. Pacifier are we talking about? Yeah. 
It wouldn't. It was a nipple that was meant to like let milk through very slowly, so that the baby gets oh. used to breastfeeding. Yeah. The doggone thing was not letting any milk through. Was not letting mm-hmm. anything through. And even you know they they need such little amounts, but he wasn't getting a thing. So he's pissed off at me the whole night because he's like, Dad, give me something. Get the number <laughs> two nipple, Dad. What's wrong with you? <laughs> this is Heather Dubrow's world. It is so hard to find the perfect food for your dog that's nutritious, meets all of their needs. I mean, I love my little guys, George and Roxy. They're the cutest, sweetest thing ever. But you know what? I noticed they weren't eating the food that had been recommended by the um, veterinarian. And so I was looking for something new, but I wanted to make sure it was healthy and good and, and like just right for them. So I found just right. Just Right is personalized dog food done differently. Their experts are with you every step of the way to help build the ideal blend for your dog. Because your dog's blend starts with you because you know them the best. So all you do is you take this quiz. You don't have to stand in the store and read the back of the, you know, cans or bags and everything. They actually ask you questions. You answer them. And based on that, that's how they adjust your dog's blend based on your dog's needs. So it's backed by science, experience, and a love of dogs. You can trust that every bag is filled with high quality ingredients. It's complete and balanced nutrition in every scoop. And it's also so convenient. Your dog's unique blend is delivered straight to your door every month on a schedule that works for you. And every blend comes with personalized feeding instructions and a really cute picture of them on the front. It's so cute. Your best friend deserves a nutritious blend of food that's just right. So if you want free delivery delivered to your door based on your schedule that you could adjust at any time, now is the time. You're going to get 50% off your order and free shipping always. Try the no hassle subscription today. Satisfaction guaranteed. Go to www.justrightpetfood.com slash Dubrow for the full details. That's www.justrightpetfood.com slash Dubrow. Now back to Heather Dubrow's world. By the way, you know what's so crazy about that? And I love that you told that story and I love that you felt that way because we, I mean, I'm just telling you women and, and as lay people are terrified and that's why terrified in the middle of the night, especially in the middle. Of the night. And you know, isn't it a phenomenon with patients that patients get sicker, feel worse, like in the dark hours of the night when the doctors aren't available, you always like go down, right? You feel fine until like eight o'clock. There could be some truth to that. Yes. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the babies. It's like, you're fine. Everyone's happy. You're feeding the baby. And as soon as no one's around and you're by yourself at 2 a.m., it is the most stressful thing. And you're in charge of this life and you're not a doctor. And it's just, it's crazy. So I love that you told that story. That was great. And you're Uh, spot on. Everyone, especially I've learned this with babies. They always get ornery in the middle of the night or the weekend when you're like, oh, I'm... uh, he doesn't, he's not having a great day. My wife will say, should we take him in? Like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to take him in at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night. 
<laughs> where if it were 2 p.m. on a Monday and we could go see his pediatrician, you had this question about his diarrhea. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not going to the ER at 2 a.m. ER. for diarrhea. No, definitely not. But speaking of the ER, I'm curious what it's like now because all right, so I have a gal that works with me and her fiance is a firefighter. And I remember at sort of the height, uh, you know, right when everything got locked down, the protocols that the firefighters had to go through when they brought someone to the ER was crazy. They have, there was a separate staging area, couldn't go into the regular ER area, separate staging area. They would drop the patient off and they would literally have to strip naked, walk through, you know, like this sh- makeshift shower thing. And then they give them like paper, like scrubs kind of deal. And then they'd have to go back to the firehouse and shower and again and get dressed I'm, but for any patient. And they weren't allowed to go into homes. Like the protocols were just crazy keeping them safe a hundred percent. But what, what, what has it been like in the ER and what is it like now? Protocols are all over the place. And I think that's one of the frustrations that any healthcare provider has had with the response has not been universal. So it's hospital to hospital. And also standards were relaxed quite a bit over the summer because even though people were still getting the infection, ICUs were no longer full. So, you know, even family members could come in and visit, but then we're at a place now where I literally just got an email and I'm, I'm not going to share specifics of it, but from the medical director at the hospital where I'm on staff at and folks don't know this, but critical care beds are filling up, if not full already in states all across the country, particularly here in the South. And I don't, you know, I, I can't speak for other places, but you know, that's, that, that's the kind of thing where you're having to literally day by day. And I have so much respect for hospital administrators during these times Oh yeah, who are trying to balance all of these tasks because This is really unique and new. And, you know, the one thing, again, I I have to say this only because it's, it's on my mind and I know you would allow me to say this since you're um, plugged so much into the healthcare system. You know, there, there were times over the last six months where there was this notion that, that everyone knew exactly what to do and that there were all these tests available, but we've, there've been a lot of limitations on testing. Testing still is problematic. So the policies are just, it's tough, right? And so one day, you know, one day the policy could be like you described, where, where frontline workers are stripping naked because no, no one really knows what the best policy is. And then, you know, and then maybe the next it's okay, we're good. It's the all clear. And then it's, you know, I think we're going to see a little bit of a back and forth this fall and winter because, um, because there's still so much uncertainty and I don't want, I don't want to perseverate on this because yeah. obviously it's, it's such a, a, a strange time, but you know, we're, um, we're hunkered down a little bit right now because we just had, we've had very little help. If we've had no help. So we have, um, Grayson's great grandmother is here right now. That's cool. And she's in her eighties. And so we're, we're being very careful with her yeah. and I'm, I, and sort of, I'm becoming very uh, protective of everyone in the family yeah, you have to only be. because, yeah, because you have to be, because not everyone, it, no one else is going to do that. 
No one else is, is let, responsible let, for protecting our family, for instance. Let me, let me ask you this. Are hospitals sharing information with each other? That's, that's regional. That's region by region. And I think that gets back to Heather, you know, the way that the pandemic is being treated in some states, it's just very different. And this has all been left up to states and and really dependent upon having good hospital administration. And, you know, the, the one thing I will say, and I'm sure you would agree with this, is I have so much respect for people who are in healthcare. And yet I can say that and also on the same in the same breath, say that our healthcare system is broken. And so when you take a pandemic and throw it into a broken healthcare system, it creates problems. For instance, you go get a test and you don't get a result for four or five days. What do you do with that? (laughs) What do you, you know, you get its result back seven days later and you're like, well, that, okay, that didn't help. I, I, I was, you find out seven days late, you're positive. And, and, you know, you're seeing these things in hospitals still too. And I think that's why the response is sort of all over the place. Cause it's just, there's no uniformity to it. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's talk about worried, something. Are, well, are you worried about, let me just ask this though. Are you worried about um, people who are, cause what I'm hearing and what Terry talks about, what we talk about at home is how we worry about people that need medical, medical attention that aren't getting it. Cause like, where are the appendectomies and where are the heart attacks and where are the, where are those people? Are they just dying at home? Cause they're scared to go into the hospital. I don't think so much anymore. I think that that was a real concern back when things started. I think the bigger concern is this surge capacity concept. And I, I want to make it very clear that I'm in the middle on this one. I think that there are some people who are way too flippant with the the pandemic. And, you know, I'll see 80 somethings walking into restaurants and not wearing any masks, not washing their hands. And I think, oh my gosh, I, if you were my, if you were my parent, I would have to have a serious conversation because you, you, you are so very much at risk. Flouting. You're elderly or, you know, and yet I'm also willing to acknowledge that my niece who goes to college here in Nashville, who's healthy and 21 years old, I've told her, look, be careful, be respectful. But if you get this virus, you're, you're going to do great, most likely. And so I am very cognizant of the balancing act that is out there. Um, but having said that, the surge capacity has many concerns. So let's just say we find ourselves in a scenario where we don't have an effective vaccine and ICU beds are full across the United States of America. That's where the problem comes in because we can, we can know how to treat this, but if you have no ICU beds available, what do you do? And yeah, I we think were... that's the doomsday scenario that we, we all hope will not come to pass. Well, I mean, we were supposed to be in Idaho for Thanksgiving this year because we're building a house out there. And, um, they, there's no hospital beds available at the, and they have a great hospital there. And because Terry checked out, I said, if we're going to build here, let's make sure there's a good hospital. There's There's a great cardiac hospital right there. It's full. But anyway, one more question on this. And then I want to talk about your book, your new book. Um, Do you think that doctors are profiting from COVID? I do not think doctors are profiting from COVID. Because mine isn't. I I think doctors... I think doctors are suffering and I, I, I'm obviously speaking more from the perspective of the ER doctors out there, but let me just tell another quick story. My mentor in emergency medicine, who is 
obviously since the time I was a resident and now I've been in medicine for 20 years and we're now grown ups together. And yet I still look at him as my mentor, but he's only, he's probably five years older than me, yeah. but he's a mentor. He is the coolest cucumber I've ever met in the ER. He never, ever, ever lets you see him sweat. And I've never met an ER doc quite like him. He, he is on edge. He is, it, it's just, this is a tough time because now we're in our, what are we, we're past a half a year of, you know, you frontline doctors and any doctor going in to see a patient, all the protocols and just, you start to get to a place where you're going to see patients and all of them are COVID positive on a given shift that are showing symptoms. And then where do you, where do you send these patients if your ICU is full? And those, the stressors as a doctor have more to do sometimes with these surrounding social issues. Like, oh my gosh, what do you, what, what do you do when you're dealing with sickness, but at the same time, there are so many social issues around COVID, right? Yep. Because family members and how do you deal with them? And, and oh my gosh, telling a family member that you, you may not have room at the hospital. Um, it, it's a tough, it's a really tough time. Having said that, we have a broken healthcare system. So do I think that there are sectors of the healthcare system profiting? Absolutely. And, and I have to say this, it is unconscionable that anyone should get paid a hundred and some dollars for a test that takes a week or two weeks to get back for an infection that will run its course within a week or two weeks. And, I, and that's, that's been happening and that breaks my heart, but that is a failure of our healthcare system that I think has been mismanaged from the top down. And, you know, that's just, that's just my, my humble feeling. I, I, I do not know why we did not have a, uh, sort of a right out of the gate, more universal approach so that we weren't all guessing. Uh, but that's what healthcare providers were doing, guessing. We, you know, not, not even knowing if the tests you're providing are good or not. So, you know, I have to give so much credit because it, it is in times like these, interestingly, a lot of doctors are ironically losing work, losing, people don't know this, but COVID has really affected doctors in a weird way and, and, and secondary providers and that's a crazy concept because most people would think the opposite. Right. Um, but I look, I hope we get to the other side of this soon. I told my sister that, you know, I have a lot of high hopes that you're going to see a much more normal spring here in our country. And until then, we just have to be vigilant. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. You're listening to Heather Dubrow's World. If you've been listening lately, you've definitely heard me gushing about the health and wellness brand Pink. You guys, I love Pink. Their products are amazing and they're developed by women for women. The best part about Pink is that they give back to organizations that support women, including National Breast Cancer Foundation. NBCF helps get every woman the access and information she needs to get through every step of her breast cancer journey. So when you buy Pink, you're empowering your own health and the health of others. How awesome is that? When women support each other, incredible things happen. 
Pink has these biotin, beautiful gummies. Oh my gosh, they're so yummy. And they have nutrients that can help elevate your natural beauty. The Be Well Cranberry Veggie Caps have a fresh blend of cranberry, vitamin C, and hibiscus. Pink is the brand that really helps women live well and be well. For a limited time only, you can save 20% on any pink product at amazon.com with the promo code 20 Dubro Pink. That's 20 Dubro Pink. This is Heather Dubrow's world. Here's Heather. All right, let's talk about books. So I don't, you probably don't remember this, but I think the, I think, I think the first time we met was in 2010 when you came out with the lean belly prescription was it, it was 2010, right? I was co-hosting good day LA. Yeah. I was co-hosting good day LA and you came on to promote your book. And that was the first time I ever met you. And it's just funny because now we've, you know, and I've written a number of books since then. You have too. And it's just funny how life works because in what world would I ever thought I would have met you on the set of Good Day LA back in 2005? Yeah, I know, (laughs) right? It's crazy. And then, of course, you know, I hung out with you on The Doctors many times um, with Terry, without Terry as a co-host and all that. So much fun. But I want to talk about the new book. So I love the name of the new book. So Reset Your Diet, Reset Your Life. First of all, take me through like why it was time to write a new book. We get asked this too a lot, you know, because when you write more than one diet book, you know, things change. Science changes, you know, times change and people's bodies are different. So I, I love all the different varieties of things. But why this diet? What is it and why now? Heather, it's interesting because the concept of reset is something that I thought a lot about before the pandemic hit. And so I was working on this concept really from uh, experiences in my own life. And I've never told you this, but I went through this period where I had developed some severe spinal degeneration, nerve compression, lost about 30, 40% of my strength on the right side of my body. And even when I was hosting the doctors for a year plus, I just had unremitting nerve pain. And I was so bad about getting or asking for help. And I just kept letting it fester. And I was trying to do all the things thinking I was this know-it-all doctor and it would just get better if I did certain exercises, but it just got worse and worse. And it hit me that the one thing that I had, my number one tool, and and you know this, I've always been a really healthy eater. Mm -hmm. But the reset occurred when I I come from a family of farmers in Nebraska and I had always been a healthy eater, but it included a lot of, I was a big protein guy too. And there was this big reset in the way I ate where a meat and potatoes guy who, yes, I ate healthy, but I wasn't a huge vegetable guy. I wasn't a huge. That surprises me. Yeah, it, it was more of I, I always ate really lean and I always ate real food. But I started thinking about, you know, the colors of the rainbow a little bit more. And I started really experimenting with everything from lentil based pasta to making my own black bean burgers. And I learned that when I went 95% plant based, the inflammation in my body and here I'm in my late forties would go down. And so I ultimately needed surgery and everything else. But the one thing I turned to was this, this one thing I could control your diet. And so that whole concept of reset your diet, reset your life really 
held true for me. And so the book came to being organically. The irony of everything is I'm, I'm delaying publishing the book because it was potentially coming out in the middle of the pandemic. Right. And Oh, like our book did that did well. <laughs> it's a, right. It's a tough, it's a really tough time because people are still trying to, this pandemic is a reset, but we don't, we still don't know what the exact reset is, right? We're still right. trying to figure out what is this going to look like on the backside? And so I think we're hopefully all going to come out of this and it's going to be this beautiful spring where we're, we're clamoring for a reset for our health, for our lives. And so this reset your diet, reset your life concept really started with me. And I share a lot of my own personal experience. I get a lot more vulnerable. Um, I talk about how there were stretches where I would turn to alcohol because it's the only thing that would numb the pain. And I would literally lay on the floor at night, Heather, for hours on end, just laying there on this wedge pillow because it was the only position where I wouldn't be in pain. And Ugh. I was in that little apartment. I was in my apartment in LA, just laying there on the floor thinking, boy, best years are behind me now. But what, what, what made it so difficult for you to ask for help? Because I think it's so hard for everyone, but I think people would normally assume that a doctor would be the first one to be like, oh, it's this, it's that. I got to go see my buddy over in neuros, you know, my neurosurgeon friend and ask him what this is. Or why was it so hard for you to get the help? Because I'd had a surgery before in my 20s and it didn't go well. And I'm as an ER guy, I've seen, you know, this surgery on your spine is no joke. It's not no. an easy solution. So I was, I was going to try everything because you go under that knife, something goes wrong. You can't, there's no, there's no reverse in there. There's no hitting the, the yeah. you know, let's, let's put this car in reverse. It is a one way street and you, you better hope you pick the right street. And so I think doctors in some ways, we are the most hesitant because we know the reality, which is especially on a lot and with a lot of these spine conditions, you have to you have to address the structural issues first. And so what I did is I addressed all the structural issues, like poor posture, um, a lot of the things that I've been doing because of our I have arthritis, ironically, in my feet. So I had developed all the way up the chain stiffness in my joints. So I I addressed all of that, but then when the nerve compression still didn't get better, then I had to get a surgery. And lucky for me, it went well. But even yeah. then it was still, you know, this, it was still sure. a full year of rehab. I'm yep. still rehabbing. So the easy quick fix solutions in medicine, um, unless, you know, in, in the world of plastic surgery, there are some, you go into surgery and you come out and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain surgeries in orthopedics where maybe you're putting a rod in a bone and you go in, you can't put any weight on your leg. And then you come out and you're like, wow, Feel that's great. amazing. Yeah, yeah. But almost every other surgery, it is a, you know, it's a long road to recovery. So it's, it's last resort for me, unfortunately, Heather, I just wait, I waited a couple of years and I ended up having long-term nerve damage. And so I look, I wish I had been more willing to trust others, but I was, uh, I was really afraid to give up control. I was really afraid to go on that table be put to sleep. And I don't know if, if it's, and I have friends. It was just, I, I don't know why Heather, how, I just it really, it? you know, it's interesting to me because how hard is it for a doctor to pick a doctor? Really hard, especially if it's not your field. So I know who I want to go see in the ER and I know who, if like, like, let's, 
take this for example. I have asthma. If I get COVID and I have, if I have a bad experience, someone that I trained is now a critical care doctor at a local, like he is the guy I want to go see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I've never been in the OR with you. I don't really know how technically sound you are, even if you're one of my best friends. I So I'm sitting here. You know how we do it. It's the underground world. I tell people, even if you don't have doctor friends, talk to patients, talk about yeah. their experience. So of course, I'm, I'm calling not only doctor friends, I'm calling my friends who work in the device industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the medical salespeople. Sure, they would know. And you hate to say it, but in med school, we said it many times, C equals MD, and not all doctors are created equal. I never heard that one. The one I always heard was, what do you call the guy that graduates last in his medical school class? Doctor. Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You you have to ask. I got to tell Terry that that's so- C equals MD. All right, but tell me about the diet. So is the the restart diet mostly plant-based? It is. It's so what it is, is I'll call it a modified Mediterranean diet. Okay. It also utilizes a lot of the more recent research that supports these keto fasts that are short term rather than long term. And and I know you, we agree on a lot of the same things here. So I, I put in it a five day keto, I'm calling it a keto cleanse. Really what it is, is it is a way to primarily using plants, seafood. And when I say plants, you know, it's not twigs and berries. We're talking about some delicious, awesome meals, but utilizing the tools that plants come with, which is protein fiber. And in these five days, one of the great things for me, cause I do it and I call it a reset cleanse. Yep. I can, I can lose a lot of weight when I do this, but more importantly, the bloat, the, the 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 fog, it all goes away. But more than more than that, my desire to gorge myself, as you know, we can get in these patterns. It breaks the pattern. So I have this five day keto reset cleanse, which is all about good foods, using the power of, of ketosis for a brief period of time. Long term ketosis, I worry about it. Me too. I can see you shaking your head, but yep. short term, great. But then, you know, the beauty of, and you know, is any diet long-term, you need to include all the macronutrients, the good foods, right? And the more research I've done, the more I've come to realize, and we do this in my own, my own home, the more I'm eating foods that come from mother earth, the better I feel. Yep. So if I'm going to make a really exciting dish for breakfast, you know, I'm throwing Everything from onions, garlics, beans, avocado, any vegetables I have. And I'm throwing those all together and I call it my amateur hour saute. You don't need to be a pro in the kitchen to do this. No. Throw some olive oil in there and you're and you're cooking a meal that will help you live longer and lose weight. But by the time you start to learn these tools, you you do not want to eat anything else because it's so tasty. I'll even take canned salmon, Heather. I and I'll throw isn't it in these sautés. Isn't it, isn't it interesting when you start eating like that, how when you go out to a restaurant, everything's very tastes very salty and it yes. tastes very like fake. I, maybe, maybe that's not exactly right, but it tastes processed, I guess, is the word 
that I'm looking for. So we like to eat out, but you know, I, you know, I'm a New York Jew. I like to eat. And so yeah, I like going out to restaurants for the food. I'll go to a joint just because the food is good, but I've changed now. I'm, I more now go out to a restaurant because I like the ambiance and I want to sit and have my cocktail and the food I, I, Oh, it's terrible, but I basically decimate the menu and say, may I have a ple- piece of, you know, plain grilled fish with just some steamed vegetables on the side. And it's not because of the calories. It's because I just want to eat that way. I'm with you. I, and having said that, I, I am 100% a believer in treating yourself, right? Yes, we we have to have time sure. to retreat. Yes. But I, it, it's funny that you sound like me. My wife and I will go to a restaurant and have a cocktail, or I might have a bourbon or a glass of wine, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and maybe we'll get an app appetizer that's healthy. Maybe it's uh, like some edamame, guacamole, edamame <laughs> or guacamole with or hummus, and then we'll go home <laughs> and we'll make dinner at home. Totally, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And you know what I think is cool also? I think that I love this idea for the book. You have to send it to me because now I'm dying to read it. Um, I love that there's so many delivery services and plans you can get at these, you know, these, um, the box meals, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. That you can either cook at home or they send you the meal already done and you heat it up. Because I feel like what's been a problem, tell me if you agree, for so many years, for so many people is that fast food's cheap. And, you know, fattening bad food is cheap. So it's just easier and cheaper to eat that way. But I feel like there's so many good options now that are so not expensive. Not only that, but what I would give advice-wise to anyone listening is if you're going to use any meal delivery service or, heck, if you're going to use a an Uber Eats type service, pick those services where you have a choice. Right. So we have, you know, we have a, a new restaurant near us here in Nashville called Cava, where you can go. It's Mediterranean themed in many ways, if I'm remembering correctly. But I can go in and I can order as my base super greens and lentils, and I can pick exactly what toppings I want to a to a tea. Yeah, and I'm getting back to too much salt or too much sugar. I like to be able to go and pick out the ingredients that I want, which may sound anal, but at the same time, this is my health. And I also know what I like together in terms of taste. And so I like that there are more and more restaurants. So if you are getting meal delivery service, you know, pick the ones where you have some say, where you have some choice. Um, because I no longer feel comfortable just saying, Oh yeah, you go, go ahead and deliver this to me and whatever, however much salt you put on it. That's great. Yeah, no. How much sugar you want to throw in there? It's great. Even if I'm going to go order a margarita, it's you're paying for it. I'll say, look, I want a margarita. I want it spicy. I do not want any simple syrup. Right. Because I don't. It tastes better. Oh, you're, you're like me. You're the pain in the ass at the restaurant. It's good though. I love that. Um, I this. I love this book. I think this is super cool. So when is it coming out? In spring 2021, right? Reset your diet. Well, yeah, reset your th- life. We're, we're thinking now about maybe coming out with it right around. Christmas? Mother's Day. Oh, Mother's um, Day? Because, and, and I'm going to tell you this, it, it, it's fluid. But I am really trying to be cognizant. I've, a lot has changed in my life. Um, and, and the beauty of my life right now, and, and this is where I, I'm proud of you and all you've done, because you have control over your life. You are in charge of you. And it's one of the things that, that I've recently told my wife. My life now, this is, this is our life. I'm in control. 
a lot of changes. I'm no longer hosting the doctors. I am, I am free now to, to make choices. And for me, a lot of, I want to come out with my book when I feel like we're close to the other side of all of this chaos we've been going through. And there's just so much right now. And, and we're talking right now, one day before the election, I don't know when the podcast is going to air. It's going to come out on Thursday. I know. So, so people may listen to this on Thursday and the, who knows what the world's going to look like on Thursday, much less December, January. So I think, you know, my advice to everyone, and, and these are some of the keys in, in the book when it comes out, this is such an opportune time to, it, it's felt so divisive. There's the pandemic, but you know, this is also a wonderful time to take stock of where you're at in life Yep, and to be a little bit selfish. And what I mean by that is the last four months, my baby's four months old for the first time in my life. I did not travel until last week. I spent every night. So you can call it and, and I'm working from home. I'm, but I, I, for four months, my number one job was being a father and I have oh. zero regrets and I don't need to apologize for it. And I'm mm. very blessed to be at a position a little bit older as a first time father that I can make that choice. I couldn't have done that if I were in the midst of residency. I could, but if COVID did nothing else, it, it completely changed the way my year was going to look Yeah. because without COVID very likely I'm on a plane every week. I'm flying every week. Nope. I, I looked at my family. I looked at my wife. We had our baby. I'm like, this, this is my job now, right now. This is, this is who needs me. I think um, I think the universe sometimes has a way of delivering you what you need at exactly the right time. And if you listen to the universe, you can make the right pivots that that work, right? But I have to assume, I mean, you were a host on The Doctors for what, 20 years? No, it was 12 years. It felt like 20. (laughs) All right, like like 20. Just because of all the travel. That's a long time to be traveling. But 12 years, a hugely successful run. I mean, how hard to walk away from that? You know, it's mixed emotions. I'll leave it at that. I, I think that one of the unique realities that people forget when you're on TV is, I hosted the show for 12 years, but it wasn't my, it was never my show. I was the host and I'd like to believe that I I led the show in a way that matched my values and I tried to host it with integrity. I took it very seriously, but there just comes a point in time, I think in all things in life where, you know, it's time, it was time. And but you had done what you needed to do there. Not only that, but it was time for so many reasons um, to pivot. And then it gets back to this concept of reset. Resetting is so hard in some ways because there's some fear when you do it. And I'd be lying if I sat here and said that, I mean, so much of my identity was caught up in hosting that show, right? Yeah, it's, right. I mean, it's, oh, that's Dr. Travis. Right. He's the host of The Doctors. Well, it's easy to even forget in your own mind that, no, I'm just, I'm Travis Stork. I'm, I'm Dr. Travis Stork, MD, who is all these other things too. And, yeah. and it's, it's important. I think at periods in life, because my first job, Heather out of college was an actuarial scientist. I didn't know I was going to be a doctor. Then, you know, then, then I decided to go take my post back classes. I go to a, I mean, ER doc. Then I somehow end up on TV, no plan. It just happened. So it's, Everything in life, yeah, 
you said it earlier. I can't remember your exact language, but things happen. Yeah. The universe. You got to listen to the universe. But sometimes you have to listen to yourself too. And, and the universe, um, will put you in a position where it's time to reset. It's time to pivot, whatever term you want to use. And I think that it can be a little frightening, but the beautiful thing is I don't know many people in life, including myself, who've ever had regrets when we make a big change as long as you do it with eyes wide open and you do it on your own terms then change is a beautiful thing yeah tell me about the podcast well that's the other thing you know all these transitions that all came about probably midsummer and so taking a took a break from that too because i just wanted to t- i wanted to take 4 months yeah. so this is heather me hanging out with you right now this is pretty much the first thing I've done in four months. I love it. I'm so glad. That's why I'm probably, I'm honest. By the way, you look so happy. Now. You look well, so I, happy and relaxed. When you hang out, when, you, when you're doing things like singing to your baby to get him to stop crying, it just changes. It, it, you can take yourself a little less seriously, okay, even well. in the midst of chaos. You're listening to Heather Dubrow's World. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or at renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There are so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Now back to Heather Dubrow's world. Let me ask you this. I have to ask you, I I normally wouldn't, but I have to ask you because people to still always ask me about Real Housewives. I had a career before it. I've had a career after it, but that five years, people just want to just keep talking about it. At the beginning, when I first left the show, it bothered me. Like I just didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to, you know, pull my, get my, I hate to use the word brand, but like get my narrative back to me and who I am instead of being a part of the show. And now I'm fine with it. I'm far enough away, you know, things mellow out and, and all that. Do you feel that way about having been on the bachelor? That change has occurred just like it did with you and real housewives. Absolutely. You know, when I, when I went on the bachelor, you also have to remember that was almost 15 years ago. So, so much has changed for me. And I, I went through a period where I was, reticent to even acknowledge it. Right. Same thing. Now it's part of my story. It's part of my story. And if I hadn't gone to dinner that one night after the ER shift at Vanderbilt and ran into a casting director there, 
my whole life would be different because I would have never gone on the bachelor. I would have never, um, ended up hosting the doctors. I would never be talking to you. I would have never met you. I would never have been able to probably write a book or I would have written a book and no one would have necessarily have known who is this guy. I'm still the same, but it gave me a platform. And on top of that, you know, the, the thing I'm becoming as I get older, I'm 48 now, is I'm becoming less apologetic. I think there was a period of time where, you know, I was an attending physician at Vanderbilt Medical Center. And so there's a small part of you that's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I was on The Bachelor and I'm sorry that I hosted the show The Doctors. But the truth is, I'm not sorry. I, I, every step I've taken has been authentic to me. And and not easy every step of the way, but I'm 48 now. I don't have to apologize. And you want to talk about the bachelor? Sure. I love that. (laughs) Isn't that great? But I swear getting older also does that for you. I think it mellows you and it is part of your story. And the same way housewives part of mine, I'm actually super grateful for it now. The greatest irony. And I'm the same way is we, so I was the bachelor way back when there was no such thing as social media. There was no such thing as streaming. And I was, my season was in Paris. So the great irony is I ended up marrying someone named Paris. (laughs) How ironic is that? That's hilarious. Can you imagine? I didn't even think about that because when I started, because when I did scripted television, there was no social media. So people would come up to you at a restaurant and say, oh, I like your character or, you know, I I like your show. They'd want an actual autograph. No one wants that anywhere. You know, people just want a photo now to like people knowing your life and your career. I mean, just crazy. I cannot imagine. Can you imagine having gone through The Bachelor as it is now? Couldn't have done it. No way. No way. Crazy. <laughs> it, 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 it's, a, it's a generational thing. And having said all of that, I'm very um, cognizant, especially here in Nashville. There, there's actually a huge contingent here in Nashville of people who have been on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Really? And I, I actually really respect those individuals who've been able to use social media to create a platform. Yeah. And who am I to judge? Having said that, I would not have been able to, I, I was blessed because through the bachelor, then on the doctors, I, I was an ER doctor first, right? So I would not have been able to have handled those distractions. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a lot. Wait, I have a question. Did Paris see you on the bachelor before you met her? No, she's never. And I do not believe we'll ever watch, even though there was nothing crazy scandalous. It was very mellow. It was more about going up in the Eiffel tower and taking helicopters to Champagne, France. I don't, I don't think we'll pull that out of the archives, but like I said, we religiously, we, we religiously watch now because it's our decompression time. And it's a tribute to back to getting full circle, real housewives, that franchise is unstoppable. The yeah. Bachelor Bachelorette franchise, unstoppable. unstoppable. It's a part of our – so I'll give credit where credit is due. And why would I in any way, shape, or form uh, be ashamed of having been The Bachelor? Because my experience, you know, people do have a tendency. They'll, they'll think that maybe you in some way, shape, or form are similar to the most recent Bachelor. Yeah. I, 
No, <laughs> you know, I, we're all unique individuals here, but if I've learned nothing else and I tell, I tell even medical students this now in life, you're going to be given opportunities, adventures. Some of them may be uncomfortable. Some of them may be out of your comfort zone. Go on some of those journeys. Yeah. And in medicine, I've, I've always believed and again, taught this to those under me, do other things. Don't solely define yourself by your profession. You're a doctor. Yes. But if that's all you are, if that's all you see yourself as, then your life will not be complete. You can, you can be a doctor and you can go do other things too. And you can live what I call a complete life. And I don't know if if Terry experiences, but when you go through that system of medicine, you become so defined by it that the crazy thing for me was going on the bachelor was such an unexpected out of my comfort zone experience that it forced me to change the way I live my life, which is, yes, I'm a doctor, but Hey, I was also able to go to France and be the bachelor and nobody got sick there. And I still had a great experience. Right. <laughs> I, I literally was not, I, I did not provide any patient care for the first time. in I don't know how many years when I was there and it's like, wow, okay. Now I know who this part of me is. I hadn't been on a date in over a year and now here I am. When I look at my son, I'm going to say, son, go on some adventures. I love you it. Stay true to yourself, but go on adventures. That is some of the best advice I've heard. I have had such a fabulous time hanging out with you. Um, I cannot wait to see what you do next because I'm sure it will be extraordinary. I'm excited for your book to come out. Tell everyone how to find you on social media. So at Travis Stork, MD, and I'm getting better at it, Heather. I'm actually... Learning how to to utilize the platform, and I'm excited to use it more. And honestly, one of the great things I'm planning to do is is um, use it as a way to to share not just my thoughts, but from time to time my my medical opinion on things. And I'm a I'm part time preventative doctor now, so I like to share the experiences I've had learning about those tools, just like you. And um, yeah, so if anyone's listening and they want to hear more from from this uh from this pop slash md slash former bachelor <laughs> they can uh they can follow me at travis stork md i love it stay in touch i'm going to dm you my number when you guys eventually come back to town call us we'd love to see you guys that sounds great or i may have to take you up on visiting you in uh come in visit us in idaho it's pretty spectacular i'm building a house and you know i'm a crazy house builder so it's gonna be something I gotta oh good you. for you <laughs> well thanks so much heather tell terry hello and uh keep it up keep up the great work congrats on the baby thanks cheers you're listening to heather dubrow's world Let's face it, in today's uncertain times, simple conversations about your health can have powerful results. There's something you are likely eating every day. It can negatively affect your waistline, complexion, and overall health. On the Dr. Gundry podcast, Stephen Gundry, a renowned cardiothoracic surgeon and New York Times bestselling author, cuts through the BS to help you make better health choices. You have the ability to heal yourself if you give yourself the right 
right ingredients to do it with. Dr. Gundry has spent the last 20 years empowering people around the world to help reverse and prevent some of our most serious ailments through the power of diet and lifestyle changes. You will change 90% of you. You will be a brand new you. Tune in to the Dr. Gundry podcast to start your health journey. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Because I'm Dr. Gundry, and I'm always looking out for you. This is Heather Dubrow's World. Here's Heather. Oh, my God. I love him. Is he the cutest thing ever? Dr. Bachelor, uh, the doctors, an author. I just love this guy. And honestly, I literally have known him for so long. And every time, he's just the nicest person. You know, sometimes people will ask, oh, how's so-and-so in real life? Are they really that nice? He's really that nice. He's just wonderful. Go follow him and get the book when it comes out. And uh, thank you guys so much for being here. I had so much fun today. I hope you did too. And I'm getting really excited to start doing that third show. The feedback from you guys has been terrific. So thank you. I love communicating with our whole community and I will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to Heather Dubrow's World. Download new episodes every Thursday and Friday on Podcast One, the Podcast One app, or Apple Podcasts. And please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a lovely five-star rating. Go to Apple Podcasts and say how much you love Heather Dubrow's World. See you next week.